You're listening to the regular podcast from Pete the Vet's blog. This was first broadcast on East Coast FM. Now, Pete Weatherburner Vet is here. Pete from TV3, uh, his um, veterinary practice at Brave Vet on O'Connor Avenue and his website, PeteTheVet.com. How are you doing, Pete? I'm great, Declan. Thank you. Thanks for, for coming in. And I was just looking at, uh, I switched the telly on in the studio, I saw on Sky News, they were looking after birds around the southern English coast, I think from Dorset across to probably Devon, mm. uh, where birds are washed ashore, not in an oil slick as regards chemical oil out of the ground from uh, the Middle East or something, but they suspect some sort of vegetable oil. It's, have it you been following this story? I've just been um, catching the news like you have, so I don't know much more about it than is publicly known, but basically... It seems to me like it, the, the birds have, have been coated with something that must have, I think it must have been something that was dumped at sea. There's a cost to getting rid of waste these days, and I'd imagine it's quite possible for somebody to think, well, I can escape that cost just by dumping this stuff out at sea where nobody sees it. The problem is that birds, um, birds look robust, but they actually have very delicate feathers, and the, the waterproofing of their feathers is critical for them to be able to swim and to be able to fly. We saw it ourselves here, and there was a Dublin Bay oil spill a long time ago now, over 10 years ago, and um, there were loads of seabirds washed up um, around the Bray Seafront, and we were going along with a whole bunch of volunteers picking up these seabirds, bringing them to our clinic and, and washing the oil off them, and we learned a lot about it at that stage. So I'd imagine what they're doing on the south coast of England is exactly that process, trying to save these birds' lives, which is a real challenge because when their feathers go they're in real not only do yeah. they lose their ability to swim and fly but they lose their insulation as well so they get chilled very easily especially this time of the year and the birds must be absolutely scared first of all they can't fly yes they're drifting along they're washed ashore and then they get these humans over yeah and these humans take them and yeah. then they wrap them up in all sort of stuff so that they can't actually move and then they're being helped but yet they must be really scared and there would be quite a high mortality rate for that reason because there's huge stress to their system um, but at least they can catch the birds funnily enough it was just yesterday um, that we had a, an incident involving a seagull down in Bray Harbour um, I, I manned the helpline for the Bray Swan Sanctuary and what that means is that there's a, there's a big notice board down in Bray Harbour with, with an, uh, a number on it which, which um, people can use to send texts to Bray Swan Sanctuary and so anytime there's a sick bird down there they just send a text to that number and um, we basically get the message and I've got a network of volunteers who help me address this. So yesterday we were called down um, because there was a, a seagull being spotted with um, some sort of netting material wrapped around his head. Netting? Netting, like fish netting. And, and it sort of swam under it or something. Well, it must have tried to swim through it and it's got, it's got trapped, so it's got, this, it's got like a shawl almost of netting around its head now and the poor bird can't properly open or shut his beak so he can't get it food properly. So we were called out to the bird but of course there's one immediate problem with the seagull which is how, how on earth do you catch the, the creature? Um, we can see it from 20 yards away but when we get more than, you know, we get any distance close to it, the bird just flies away because it's still quite strong. So it's a real challenge for us. You could say, yeah, you get a long, long-handled net or something, but the bird just flies away from it. So it's very, very difficult to deal with this sort of problem. Yeah, and do many of the birds get into difficulty? Mm, well, we probably, we probably get, on average, 
a couple of calls a week. Like it's a constant. Like it's, it's um, a lot of the members of the public go down there to feed the swans and just to just to walk around the place. It's a pleasant part of the town to to stroll around. Um, and so if they see a bird in distress, obviously they want to help. So we get calls about them. In fact, there's one swan down there has got. Um, a sort of peculiar thing called an angel wing, which is like a sticky out extra bit of feathers on his, uh, which looks looks as if he's injured or something. And we, we probably get about one call a week with that particular bird, people telling us that they've seen this bird with this problem. But we know the bird well, and we know that it can still feed itself and swim and everything. It just yeah. looks peculiar. Yeah, How so. are the swans getting on? There's a lot of work being uh, taking place there. Yeah, along the riverbank in yeah. Bray. There is, yeah. Well, there hasn't been any visible disruption. I think there'll be more likely to be a problem later on in the springtime because they usually nest along the river up there. So that obviously the, 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 their nesting behaviour would be disrupted by um, the works. But, but, I mean, surely the works will be finished by, by then, will they? Will They've they gone on for two soon? years, I think. Two years? Yeah. Goodness me. <laughs> well, the swans, will have to, the swans will have to find somewhere else to nest this year, I'd say. All right, listen, you've written an article all about... Um, uh, pets and chemotherapy. Yes, I, I I write a piece every every week for the brave people. It's, it goes out to the Wicklow people, Gory Guardian, also about about nearly twenty different region newspapers around the country. And I've been writing about chemotherapy this this, this couple and of that weeks. That might seem strange to a lot of people, but they have a pet, and okay, they want the welfare of the pet. You know, to be looked after, mm. and, they, and they're very much emotionally attached to the pet. But taking it into expensive treatment mm. just seems. You know, in these straightened times, yes, a little bit ludicrous, I it, suppose. I, I, I think it's a difficult thing when somebody's emotionally involved with a dog. That they don't, you know, if I say to them, look, without treatment, your dog's going to live for another few days or weeks. With treatment, he could live for over two years. You know, it's a, it's it pushes them towards, yeah, we ought to give treatment. But, of course, the cost thing is high. And, you know, you're talking about several thousand euro a year to have a dog on chemotherapy. Um, but this is where pet insurance really does kick in. Because if somebody has their pet insured, well, then the insurance company covers the costs. The owners are still reticent about getting into chemotherapy because chemotherapy, I think, because of human experience of it, people have a mental image which they don't find very appealing of, you know, um, some sort of suffering. And I think that the, the really, the big point I wanted to get out of my articles was that it's used differently in pets to in humans. It's recognised that it's not, it wouldn't, wouldn't be fair to an animal to make them suffer just to have a little bit more life. Whereas we humans can choose, yes, we want to go through that because we want to live for longer for various reasons, obviously. Whereas dogs don't and cats don't have that sense of... Um, they don't have that knowledge, that conscious knowledge of it, and they can't make a, they can't give consent to, to go through that suffering. So for that reason, it's generally accepted that we don't use the chemotherapy at, at such strong levels as with humans. So yes, there are some side effects, but something like 95% of dogs have no side effects from the chemotherapy, or just mild ones that go away with, 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 by just withdrawing the chemotherapy. So that it's not a big problem. So for that reason, it's, it's a whole different experience to what happens in humans. And it does make a big difference. You know, um, for example, with lymphoma, which is one of the more common cancers that we would see and indeed that we'd use chemotherapy for, um, there's something like a one in four chance of a dog living for more than two years with chemotherapy. Whereas without any treatment, the dog would only live for, for a few weeks. So, you know, and if, if, an insurance, if, you've, if you've paid your dues for your insurance, you've coughed up your, I don't know, your 10 or 15 or 20 euro a month for, 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 for the previous well, what period. What was insurance uh, of a pet initially 
thought of? Uh, why? What What were the things that people were insured against? Was it well, loss of the dog or the dog, the pedigree dog dying or something? No, Where did those, the chemotherapy those, come into it? Well, those things are all extra things which insurance companies tend to throw in almost like as baits trying to appeal to people in different ways to try and make themselves different from other insurance companies. But the concept of pet insurance really was started by a, 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 the mainstream way. It was started by a woman called Patsy Bloom, who was just a dog owner who had a situation where her dog fell badly ill. And I can't remember what it was, whether it was a broken leg or whether it was a type of cancer, but she was she went from paying her whatever, just the low costs involved in having a dog, feeding it and giving it occasional wormers and so on, to suddenly going to the vet and being told, look, it's going to cost you a thousand pounds to make your, your dog right. And she didn't have a thousand pounds. She thought, well, you know, if only I'd been paying out a small amount every week for the last couple of years, then an insurance company could have covered that cost for me. And she, she kind of took that logical approach to it and said, if I feel like this, there must be other people who feel like that as well. And so she set up a company then called Pet Plan. Um, and this, this was like, something like 25 or 30 years ago. And um, that company, Pet Plan, went on to grow and it still is now the biggest pet insurer in um, the UK. And what does it not cover? It doesn't cover things that you know are going to happen. So, like, it doesn't cover vaccinations or spaying. It doesn't cover routine dental cleaning. Um, it covers everything else to do with a pet falling ill or having an accident. Um, so, I mean, and that's the main reason for it. The main reason is so that you can budget for unexpected things. It puts things like chemotherapy um, onto the list of possibilities. It means you can afford treatment costing thousands of euro, which you wouldn't do otherwise. And when you're emotionally involved with a dog or a cat, that's a great thing because you don't really want to make decision on economic grounds for your pet. You want to make the right decision for your pet. You want to do the thing that's best. Um, and you don't really want... Just the same, like, for human health. When it comes to human health, you don't really want to be thinking, well, how much is that going to cost me? Really, the ideal thing is to do the best thing that, that gives the best outcome and for somebody else to worry about the money. And we, we, we can get, a, get away with that in the human world by, um, you know, by having some things paid for by the state and by have, or by having um, uh, some sort of private health insurance. And most people have one of those two options. But when it comes to animals, there is, you know, you either pay for it yourself or you get your own pet insurance. There's no, there's no okay. halfway house there. All right, all right. And, and um, sometimes you don't claim on it, I suppose. Do you get a, a no-claims bonus and things like that? Um, well, there's, there's a, one of the good things is that there's actually probably half a dozen companies in this country offering different deals. So it's like all insurances. If you shop around and read the small print, you can get good deals and different companies offer different benefits. All right. Okay. Thanks very much indeed, All Pete. Right. Good to you. see you again. And uh, you can hear this broadcast again on Pete's own website, which is petethevet.com. Or indeed, uh, if you want to have a chat with him personally, he's from Old Connor Avenue, Brave Vet. Okay. Thanks very much indeed, Pete. And uh, is the running going okay? Yeah. yeah. Running? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I yeah. go out running most days. It's a great de stressor. I love it. Right. There you are. Lashing along. <laughs> Watch out for him. Pete Weatherburn, the vet. Uh, at a road near you in a Bravette singlet. Okay, thanks, Pete.